This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Some days it's a real challenge to pull off a decent podcast episode. This was one of those days. I'm really excited about today's guest, Penelope Trunk. You can find her at penelopetrunk.com. She's a startup founder of several different companies, and she is an author of several books and most prominently a blogger on topics ranging from career decisions, entrepreneurship, education, uh, since she decided to homeschool her kids several years ago. She has kind of been a voice for unschooling and homeschooling and really just taking charge of your life and of your career. All the things that we talk about here on this podcast, she's very, very well known, um, very direct, not afraid of controversy. Uh, her website has all kinds of great articles you'll find there and you'll see why she has such a big following. So that's not the hard part. Having her come on and interview was was wonderful. The challenge was on the technical side. And I, I had this hunch right before uh, the episode began that I should just have a backup plan in case Skype pooped out on me, which happens every once in a while. And so I downloaded this app on my phone because Penelope gave me a phone number to call her through. And I'd actually never done Skype where I call somebody's phone. And so I got an app on my iPhone. I did a quick search, you know, five minutes to go before we're supposed to start on an app to record uh, phone calls and downloaded it and set it up just in time before we started. And then I go to call on Skype and I realized that it, you had to pay to do calling uh, someone's phone on Skype and I didn't have any credit card information in. So I'm scrambling around to get my credit card info entered and get, you know, a credit so that I could call. So I call on Skype. It's all going fairly well, uh, despite my tendency to interrupt guests. It's really bad. I asked my wife, I said, how do you like the podcast? She said, it's pretty good. You don't let people talk enough though. You interrupt them. So uh, <laughs> that I can't blame that one on technical um, problems. But anyway, it was, it was going really well. And then we just, we got cut off like three times. I called her back on Skype and then she couldn't hear me, but I could hear her just fine. And on the recording, everything I said was like, just horrible. So finally I call her back on the phone and I'm like, let's just do it here. Um, you will hear the quality gets much, much lower when we're doing it via phone. But I did get it. I did capture it. I was able to pull it together and edit it. I think the content is phenomenal. Uh, so anyway, with that preface out of the way, uh, without further ado, we will jump right in with Penelope Trunk. So Penelope, before you started, I know you've started several companies and you're still actively um, doing that. Before you became a founder of your first startup, you were an employee what was that transition like and was it scary and what was kind of the process of going from an employee to a founder? Um, well, it was exciting. It, the way that I did it was that I was at a small company and the founder needed a volleyball partner and I had been a professional beach volleyball player before I went into corporate. So he was a terrible volleyball player, but I said that I would play with him because I thought, well, something good will come of being so close to the CEO. Mm -hmm. So I played volleyball with him, and then the internet was getting, um, it was getting big enough that people were having to move their software onto the internet, and we were a software company. So I said I wanted to, um, to start an internet site 
where we moved all our software. And he said, okay. And I started putting things together. I bought the domain name math.com because you could do that back then. And I started getting everything together. And um, I would, what I would do is do my job during the day and then read about how to start a company at night. <laughs> and then at the end of my reading, I would do whatever the reading said to do. And I would just keep going that way. And then, um, he would he kept letting me go, kept letting me try to figure out this company, and it came to the point where I was working like a hundred percent of my weekend and a hundred percent of my nights, and finally he said, "Okay, you should just do this full time." And I remember thinking, like, this is unbelievable. I just made a company. I I'm amazing. But the truth is, it's not really that amazing because I was doing more work than two full-time jobs. I was literally almost working around the clock trying to give myself like a business degree or something so that I would know how to do a company. So um, it was, I think it was very exciting that I realized if I just worked really hard, I could have whatever I wanted and that I should focus on, well, what do I want? That was very exciting. What were you said you read uh you spent your time sort of reading how to how to do a startup. What were some of the things that you read that you that really stuck with you? Well, the startup um culture wasn't quite there yet. It was in the late 90s. And so what it was what I was really doing is reading about business. Like yeah. how do people have a business? How do you start a company? What do you do for financials. I didn't know anything. I was a history major and I had spent eight years playing professional beach volleyball. So I, I really, every part of the business plan, I would have to read like three books to even understand what that part of the business plan was supposed to be. Um, and I wouldn't really read the books. I would skim. And the way that I decided what I should read is, um, even though there was bazillions of information online. I thought, well, if I go to um, Barnes & Noble, they only have the most popular books there. So that I figured, well, I'll just read the most popular books. So I would spend like two or three hours at Barnes & Noble every night reading their books. Yeah, it's funny how, how much has changed where sort of entrepreneurship or startups are very sexy right now, probably uh, a little overhyped at times. And there's there's no shortage of of information about sort of the mindsets and habits. What I what I find interesting is so many people, myself included, when you want to start a company, the, the biggest hurdle is like, well, I don't know how to file paperwork to incorporate <laughs> some of those some of those really small right. detail things. And also following the rules. Like if you want funding, there are really, really specific rules that you have to follow. And I think the startup culture, people think it's like three crazy guys in their dorm room it's and they just tank. have this wacky idea. But it's like, it's not that at all. It's, you have to follow exact rules and there's a very clear system of, of what you have to do. And that's really the only way people are getting funded. Like you see the people on Shark Tank, but they've been <laughs> vetted like 300 times before they get on Shark Tank. And I think people really underestimate all the rule following that goes into creating a company. It's a strange, it's a strange paradox because the types of people who want to create companies are those that like to break rules. Um, but then it's just, you enter a different game with a different set of rules. Um, okay. Yeah. I, want, I want to ask you, so you started uh, several different companies and then at some point 
and maybe this was not a definitive point, maybe it happened slowly, but you kind of became, you're still, you're still involved in startups, I want to talk about your new startup in a minute, but you kind of became a brand, you became a public, uh, a public intellectual or a, or a public personality. What was it like to sort of become your own brand and have this uh, website, and you started, I think, with a column before that, to be sort of a public voice? Was that a deliberate transition, or is that something that just kind of happened over time? It wasn't deliberate at all. I When I first started writing, I thought it was just, I was making so much money running startups that my columns, sometimes I would forget to um, to write it to invoice for the column. I would write the column like on the train and the way to work. I would just, it was so irrelevant to me because I just, I'm very money oriented and you don't make money writing. So um, I didn't really focus on even figuring out what 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 my brand meant to people until I was at the World Trade Center when it fell and I couldn't go to work and I was traumatized in my apartment and I was thinking, well, how am I going to make money? And then I started realizing that my column was actually really popular and um, and that content online was a big idea, was a big idea at that point. And so, um, so then I ended up getting a book deal very, very quickly. I, I made got a, a $150,000 book deal and I was like, oh my God, I'm actually a well-known person. I, I had no idea. I, I didn't know that at all. Did you, and, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. So I was just going to say when you started your column, so you really did it just because you enjoyed writing or as a favor to somebody who had asked yeah. you? Yeah. Okay. I liked writing. I did it because I like writing. And even I threw out the time that I've been doing startups and writing my blog. My blog has never made a lot of money. It's always I have I can leverage the um, the credibility I have from my blog to sell other things or launch other products or other companies. But the writing per se doesn't make money. The writing's just something I do because I love. What's so be, being so public? I mean, having a large following, and uh, which obviously means uh, haters and angry emails and comments. I'm sure you get plenty of those. Is that ever hard? Does it ever wear you down? Do you ever want to just sort of run and hide and stop and stop sharing your thoughts uh, online? Um, no, I, I I hate when I don't get comments. I don't think people realize how much I love the comments. Like I don't write books. I write blog posts because I love the conversation. Hmm. So to me, like when a blog post gets 20 comments, I want to die. Like I think this is terrible. I wrote a dumb blog post. I'm not saying anything interesting. People are going to stop listening to me. It That's really scary to me. When I get 500 comments about that I'm stupid and ruining the world, I'm just happy that people <laughs> care. Do you read most of the comments? Yeah, I, I read. It's very rare that I don't read every comment. And do you get I, into it's, it? It's usually like, by accident. Do you respond to them? Yeah, I, I respond. Um, I always feel like I don't respond enough, but people tell me that I respond more than almost every other blogger. I definitely respond. Um, I try to respond to the people who, I, who, to me, are contributing the most to keep moving the conversation forward. Like I always want the comments to be a conversation that takes the idea further than my blog post could. And I'm 
so, so appreciative to people who do that with me. So I always want to respond to that. That That is really interesting to me because, it, I mean, I don't have a massive audience or anything, but, but when I want to create, I want to write things, I have to, it's like really hard for me to transition between responsive mode and creative mode. And if I'm kind of responding to comments, it's harder to sort of zoom out and create the next day's post or something new. I have a hard time sort of transitioning between those. And so I just usually like ignore, <laughs> ignore comments because it, it takes up so much mental space. Is that, is that ever a challenge? Do you feel like you get sucked into a conversation, a comment thread that's endless and it's hard to move on to the next thing? Uh, no. Well, I don't ever comment more than once on a thread. Okay. Because if it's a thread, it should be, everyone else talking like I had my chance to have the floor and so the comments are a time for me to learn and I can't learn if I'm dominating the comments or mm. dominating a thread but um, I think a lot of blogging is um, it takes a lot of time to get used to blogging it's it's absolutely a lifestyle so like one thing is I know when I'm sitting down to write a new blog post and when I'm sitting down to answer comments but I can remember when my blog first got big, and there's so much to do to maintain a blog, and I wasn't understanding that blogging is a full-time job, and I was completely overwhelmed by all the different types of mental tricks you have to do in order to maintain a blog. And I remember just staying up all night and thinking, how, do, how are people managing this? this? I can't keep staying up all night doing a blog. This is not working. It's, but a lot of it is just just getting used to the lifestyle. Yeah. All right. Now, tell me a little bit about Quistic, your newest um, venture that you've launched. What, what prompted you to launch it and give us a, an elevator pitch of what it's all about? <laughs> well, I, I can only launch things at this point in my career – I'm very, very good at getting funding. And so I only, even though I can think of a million ideas, I only execute ideas that are fundable, which is a very, very, very small percentage of ideas in the world. Mm. So, um, and I knew I wanted to do an idea that leveraged my current audience so that I could just say, hey, I'm doing this new company and everyone would go check it out and it would be relevant to them. So, um and I saw that, and, and then what I did was look at, well, what's hot right now? What Because the biggest problem I have with companies is I'm too far ahead of the curve, and I'm doing a business model like two or three years too early. Mm. And so I tried to focus on what is hot right now instead of what I think will be hot in the future. Quistic is an on learning, online learning company, and what I did was I looked at um, what my audience would want and where they can get the type of career advice they want. And I realized that most of the online learning opportunities in the career realm are for people who want to do startups. And the irony is that um, almost everyone is, shouldn't be doing a startup. It's a very <laughs> weird type of personality that does startups and works on their own. They're um, risk takers. They don't have kids. Um, they don't have a mortgage. And um, they're... They have some crazy optimism that borders on stupidity, which is a well-known trait among startup founders. So most people don't qualify for that, and they shouldn't be taking online courses for startups. They should be figuring out how to get a career working for, for someone else's company. 
And so that's what Clipstick does is it helps you to figure out should you really be doing a startup or is this crazy that you're even thinking about it? And then it gives you two paths. If you should be working for yourself, here are all the different ways you should be working for yourself. And if you should not be working for yourself, here's the way to have an interesting life without working for yourself. And um, so far it's been working because this is the only company I've launched out of my four that has been profitable immediately. So it's been really exciting to see actual money. That's a fun thing for me. We interrupt your regularly scheduled programming due to technical difficulties. Uh, Here's where it got bad and we had to switch to phones. So, Again, I apologize for the really poor quality of the audio, but I actually think this is where the conversation starts to get really interesting. Um, and I think this is this is some really fascinating stuff from here on out. And my preponderance, uh, preponder, I don't even know if that's the right word to use right there. My, t- my tendency to interrupt uh, somehow gets worse over the phone instead of Skype. I don't know. I just maybe like the audio wasn't as clear, but I kind of cut in and jump and we talk over each other a few times, which... Again, that's that's on me, your beloved host. Anyway, um, here you go with uh, the second half of the interview. Um, overlook the sound quality issues, and I think you'll get some some really great content in here. So the model for Quistic is that people pay for a certain period of time where they get sort of coaching and courses and things like that. Uh, it's all online courses, so it's each course is four days of video for four video sessions, and then written materials as well. Okay. And coaching is separate. It's just something I do on the side. So uh, real briefly, a a totally different uh, track here, transition. You also homeschool. You live in a a rural part of Wisconsin. You're homeschooling, um, which would probably seem surprising to a lot of people, someone who's done a lot of startups, who focuses on sort of career advice um has, is that something you always wanted to do or how did it come about no. how did you end up choosing to, to homeschool well i never thought of homeschooling because first of all i thought all the people who homeschool are craft pots and also i'm extremely competitive and school is all about competition so i figured well i have two genius kids so they can just compete and be grand in school but um, something that's very typical of entrepreneurs is that they're not rule followers. They're, much, they're very logic-based. And so when my kids started bumping up against problems at school, like structural problems that every parent in the whole world is bumped up against, I started doing research, and I realized there's absolutely no research that says kids should be in school, that all the educational reform research is about um, the kids need to learn in ways that are completely incompatible with school. And so, it, to me, it was like breastfeeding. Like, it, I didn't fit into my life, and I wasn't thrilled about doing it, but it was so clearly the right thing to do that I would have felt terrible not doing it. So, I took my kids out of school and found myself in a ridiculous situation of being a spokesperson for homeschooling when... All I did was read the research, and I think everyone who sends their kids to school is a big liar because deep down everybody knows that kids shouldn't be in school. They just don't want to have their kids home all day. School's like incredibly cost-effective, high-end babysitting. 
that yeah. like yeah, you it's, know, she wants to give that up for free. So, um, so I started doing all that, and then I realized as I was writing. So I started writing about homeschooling, mostly just to put my ideas out there, so people could see how I got to the conclusion that it would be ridiculous to send kids to school. And then I realized that most of the big startup founders who have kids don't send their kids to school. And so I've been writing about that. And um, it's especially prevalent um, among people who have exited companies because they have money to do whatever they want. So they have the ability to send their kids to the most expensive school. And they quickly realize that even the most expensive school is totally stupid because it's school. So at this point, I feel like the the thing where I fit into the startup community best is that I took my kids out of school. That um, it's kind of it's almost a cliche among serial entrepreneurs that they take their kids out of school. That's that's so interesting. Now, have you um, have you grown to enjoy homeschooling, or is it still like my wife and I homeschool? And my wife is basically like, look, I I don't ever really enjoy it, but I just <laughs> I just know it's the right thing to do, and so I do my best with it. Have you come to, to enjoy it, or is it still pretty stressful? Well, it's actually we. We unschool, which is pretty common, and likewise, I mean, likewise. Common among entrepreneurs. And yep. so I don't teach the kids anything. I look at what the kids want to learn, and I make sure that they have a way to learn that. Um, but I don't. I make sure that I'm responsible for earning the money, but I'm not responsible for teaching the kids. But in general, the kids don't need an adult to tell them what to learn. They need an adult to give them the resources. So um, that's what I'm doing. I think most of the parents who are think they could never homeschool think they're going to have to sit home and be the teacher, but that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, and, and I know many. I grew up homeschooled as well, and I know many. Oh, you many did? start out with a yeah, I did, I did. Many, including my own mother, start out with this you know really elaborate curriculum, and many homeschoolers become unschoolers about. You know, three months in when they when they realize it's yeah it's not good yeah that's anywhere. what I did. I had a crazy curriculum. I was making the kids do art history because I thought, oh well, I'd like to study art history. I did. <laughs> when I think about the first three months, I was a lunatic with all the curriculum. But I think it's yeah. really out of fear that parents do that. It's very very scary to do something that other people say is stupid. It, it never stops being scary to do that. Yeah, and just that competitive drive, too. It's like, you know, well, for whatever reason, the schools have determined that X subject is important to learn at, you know, age Y. Therefore, if your kid doesn't know it and the other kids do, you're supposed to, like, feel ashamed about this. Never mind what other areas your kid might be brilliant in, but that pressure is is something that's, that's not easy to, to combat. Yeah, um, that's a great example. I was just thinking well, that, it's a good test. You can test yourself should you be an entrepreneur by whether or not you could unschool your kids. Because if you can't stomach unschooling your kids, you probably can't handle going against the grain enough to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that is a – it's a great test. I mean, just a, it's a psychologically, it's very difficult. It's very challenging. No one – no one gives you, you know, it's sort of like if you, whatever, go to a really good college, you sort of do the normal thing, get good grades. No one's going to really push you and challenge you and ask you, are you sure you're doing the right thing? They'll just assume it. But when you do something out of the norm, whether it's starting a business, unschooling, 
you're, you constantly, people demand justifications, and uh, that can be yeah. a tiring, tiring place to be. Yeah, I don't um, think people think about that at all. So I want to I want to ask you two final questions that are both okay. somewhat related in terms of um, helpful helpful thoughts advice for for young people. You're a good trend spotter. So what are some important trends to watch for in terms of careers? Um. Well, I talk a lot about unschooling. So I and I I write about unschooling and careers. So at this point, I'm obsessed with seeing the intersection of those. So the trends toward homeschooling are huge, and you might not notice that they're huge because it's only, like, the top 5% of the economy that it, that the trend is huge in. You know, you probably don't realize you're in the top 5%, but if you're making around 80000 you're in the top 5%. So among the top 5%, homeschooling is an enormous trend. It's also an enormous trend in New York and San Francisco, so when you're thinking about companies, the people that you're going to try to sell to are part of this enormous trend. So then you look at, okay, what are the ramifications of homeschooling being a huge trend? One is that there's going to be um, a single parent in, in the workforce because you can't have two parents going to work every day and homeschooling. And another is um, child care is going to um, change to be kind of a – school concierge as opposed to a nanny. And another thing is that the um, the way people structure their days will change because um, homeschoolers don't have weekends, for example. There's no need for them. Homeschoolers don't have summer break. And um, family vacations come at skewed times and courses like, um, like ballet or whatever come at skewed times. So what so if you look at those shake-ups among the people who have money, then you can say, okay, so what would have to be different? What would people look for that's different if that gets shaken up? And to me, that's where the trends are. And um, it blows my mind all the education startups that are not doing anything disruptive at all. They're just trying to make no. school better. And so to me, um, doing – Education startups that somehow leverage the fact that there are a ton of people not in school, I, I think um, there's a big opportunity there. But there's also a big opportunity for lifestyle changes. I can't totally figure out what it is, but I think that's where people should be thinking. Yeah, I, I, I think that's some fascinating stuff. And I, I think in both the schooling trends as well as people working remotely, some of the common, you know, sort of rush hour traffic or, uh, you know, the putt-putt golf place only being busy on the weekend, some of those things are starting to change as people can go on off hours to do things or do things when nobody yeah. else is doing them. I think just the way we work and the way we educate not being so rigidly structured has a lot of really interesting implications. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to – people thinking about that. Sorry, go ahead. Um no, no, I want, I want to hit you with one final question. I know you're short on time, and I know with, uh, we've, had, <laughs> we've had some technical issues that have <laughs> slowed it down, so I appreciate you being generous with your time. Um, one of the biggest problems that I think all of us face, and certainly a lot of the young people that I interact with do, is that we bullshit ourselves. Uh, we want to be, let's say we want to be an entrepreneur, but really we're not the type of person who would enjoy entrepreneurship, or we want to be something that we're not. We're not honest about who we are, what do you think are some of the most common 
ways people bullshit themselves in terms of uh, careers? Um, well, uh, I, if you look at personality types, there's 16 personality types, and you can find out your – I'm blown away that everyone doesn't know their personality types. So you can – I published a test that you can go take. It's um, – you can just put into Google Quistic, Q-U-I-S-P-I-C, and test, and our personality test comes up. So if you take the personality test, you find out what – a which type you are of the 16 types. And um, some interesting things about the 16 personality types, and this is used across all of corporate America. Every Fortune 500 company tests people to find out what their type is because it's so important in terms of finding out where you belong and what your capabilities are. So um, there are 4% of the world test as an ENTJ or INTJ, only 4% of the world. Yet they make a almost 100% of the Fortune 500 um, senior management team, which means that there are personality types that are very, very good at leading companies, and there are personality types that are very good at doing other things. Each personality type is brilliant at one thing. However, um, there are basically only two personality types that are brilliant at leading companies. And there might be some personality types. There's some personality types that are brilliant at coming up with ideas. But there are only two personality types that truly will break rules. They have no trouble breaking rules that happens to be ENTJ or ENTP. Everybody else might think they're out of the box. They might think they're weird. They are not rule breakers. And so if you could get very knowledgeable about what your type is and what you're good at, it becomes impossible to delude yourself. And the most popular course on Quistic is Personality Type Master Course. And that course tells you what each type is great at. So you can stop thinking that you're great at things that you're not great at because you find out which type is great at that. And you should definitely be doing what you're great at in this world because that's the only place you can be a star. There is no way you can be a star at something that someone else was born to do and you weren't. So um, I think the biggest lies we tell ourselves are that we don't need to find our personality type because it feels like it would be so limiting and it boxes us in, but actually it's a blueprint of how we should live our life. So I hope everybody knows that. What's your type? Do you know your type? Yeah, I, I'm an ENTJ. Oh, so there you go. So a big lie that people tell themselves is that they're an ENTJ because ENTJs are rewarded so highly publicly that they make the most money by far and they're natural leaders. But um, the thing is what people don't realize is that ENTJs uh, don't care about people. They don't care about fun. They don't, they're usually workaholics and um, they're, not, they're just not very nice. So if you care about any of those things, you should just, you know, embrace the stuff that you care about and so what, that you're not an ENTJ. Like, ENTJs don't know what to do with all their money anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> all right, you had a tweet recently. It was something like, ENTJ uh, weaknesses, uh, impatient, don't care about others, you know, bullheaded, and you're like, and I, 
I don't see those as problems. I'm proud of them. I'm, I feel <laughs> I feel the same way you're describing the the challenges, and I'm like, yeah, and that doesn't really bother me. I kind of like that about my, <laughs> about myself. Uh, humility might not be a you know the the most yeah. in TJs. I'm not sure. Um, no, I, I don't think you it so is. Much. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I would love to uh, to have you back again sometime, hopefully without the technical issues. It's PenelopeTrunk.com. You can check it out. You can also check out Quizfix and take the quiz. Um, keep up the great work, Penelope. Okay, thanks. Thanks for the great questions.